Welcome to the Human Habit Podcast, where we bring you insights into everyday human behavior and help you to change your habits, change your life and transform yourself. I'm your host and brother, Ibrahim Salaman, the Human Habit Guy, a street scientist in the school of everyday life. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. All praise and all thanks due to Allah. Hi everyone. I hope you are good and well in good health and imam of faith, inshallah. And in today's episode, I have a very, very special guest, a dear brother, and for you, but for me, he's my dear cousin, he's the first family member on the podcast, and my cousin, Yusuf Ibrahim, another passionate school teacher who loves educating and empowering and inspiring the future generation, and he's kindly come to share with us his life story, experience, journey, knowledge, and wisdom. And I'm going to be picking his brain. So Yusuf, welcome to the Human Habit Podcast, bro. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure, it's a pleasure, bro. Alhamdulillah, you're a busy man. And since you moved away from us, we missed you. <laughs> and, it's <laughs> and it's been hard to get hold of you. So I thought this was an opportunity yeah. and to catch you. Mm-hmm. Inshallah. Inshallah. So inshallah, I know in recent years you've had a lot of transformation in your life. Kriya, yes, mashallah, Allah Mubarak, getting married and becoming a father. Yes. A lot of changes and moving away as well. Yeah. New city. I know you've got a lot to share with us. So inshallah, without further ado, and I've got lots of questions I want to ask you. So inshallah, I'll get started. So before we get to the recent transformation, and uh, let's take us back to all the way to the beginning of your story and journey, you were born in Abu Dhabi, right? Yeah, I was born in Abu Dhabi in the Cornish Hospital. It's a famous hospital in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. So I was born there and um, after I stayed in Abu Dhabi for 18 years of my life. So, so I went to school, I went to uh, primary, secondary school in the place. I actually did an Indian school, you know, so yeah. it was a different school to everybody else. All of my friends and cousins, they were all either in private schools, which are all British or American schools. All in government schools where they only teach you Arabic, basically. Yeah. So I was in an Indian school. So you can imagine, like, uh, it was just me and another Somali boy actually in that school. Yeah. So we were out of place, you see. So it was just, yeah, it was a, it was a learning experience. Was it, so was it, was the school full of, like, like, like Indian people? All Indians, yes. Okay, and, so uh, there's a lot of Indian people living A lot there. of Indian people, yes. And you, of course, you, you learn a lot of the culture because they'll teach you only about India and the mm-hmm. culture and the history. Yeah. So it, it kind of went weird. You know, when I finished coming from school, I know more about India than I know about my own country. You yeah. know, that's how, that's how, how so, crazy it is, really, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think... Was it uh, Muslim Indians? Because Indians... Yeah, the Indians, yeah, they were, they, were, they were a mixture. There were some, obviously, Muslim Indians, there were Christians, there were Hindus. But it, the, the, the thing was, um, because we're living in a Muslim country, you know, none of those are magnified, really, you know. It would be a different situation if I lived in, say, India itself when I was doing yeah. Indian school, you know. But in a Muslim, in a Muslim country, then... You know, you, you it's more more relaxed really. The school, yeah. so everyone's relaxed, and you know, there's no religious stuff that's been there at all. Yeah, so, yeah. that's always yeah mixture. So you knew you knew more about like you said the Indian culture, and mm. I suppose Arab culture as well. Because Arab you, culture yeah, as well, yes. Rather than Somali, that's yeah. Somali culture. How's has that how's that shaped like your life and who you are today? Well, that, being, it's funny because being in, being in Indian school, I would say in one way, it kind of helped me because it was very competitive, you see. The kids are all competitive, at least 95%. Indian now, if, if, you, if you look at the schools in this country, in England, and you look at the schools, majority of the school, uh, students, they are very, very... They don't put they put hard work into the, into the lessons or into the, into the homework or into the, whatever they need to do, really. But in Indian school, it's very competitive. So you would see somebody, you'd be talking to somebody and be telling you, like, what did you do today? And he'll be like, I haven't done anything. And you know for a fact he's lying because you know behind the scenes... 
he's probably staying up all night doing his homework mm-hmm. and you know doing his work. So Indians are very competitive. So that competitive nature was given to me really. I don't think I would have I would have found that out in any other school basically. So so it has a good aspect. <laughs> that's, that's a good aspect. Yes, yes. Yeah. The bad aspect is that you, you learn the accent. So you yeah. can imagine I was really can you imagine going to meeting somebody new like not just not Indian but obviously you know cousins or friends and then the first thing they'll say to you why have you got an Indian accent what's <laughs> what's going on here yeah. you know, and you, you you know you have an Indian accent but you're trying to change it but you can't it picks it up you know you don't realize you're speaking Indian you yeah. pick up the mannerisms you know the head shaking and all other stuff yeah. you know So yeah, but uh, you know, in one in some ways, it was really, really you, you know, know beneficial. You remind me of a funny story. You, do you remember Peter Schmeichel? Yes, in the Manchester United goalkeeper. Yes, I yes. once read he said when he came from Denmark and yeah. he came to Manchester, he lived there for years, didn't he? Yes. He actually picked up. He said a Mancunian Accents. accent. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So yes. and I was thinking because that's a habit. You know, you pick up with that. You no, not even know. Even me when I grew up in London as well. So I grew up like the Cockney East London Cockney accent. accent yes, yeah. yes. So yeah. you, and you, 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 you. When I first met you, you had an accent, a heavy Cockney accent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Scarborough, London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know that's what I'm saying. So the environment shapes you, innit? and your mm. early experience. So for you, in that aspect, you learn. The competitive. So when you say competitive, that's like a habit, you know, like an emotional yes. habit. So does that mean, in terms of education, you were like you wanted to be good and yeah. be exceed? Yes, and yes, in, yeah. You want to, you wanted to, you always had that idea. You want to beat the person next to you, even if, even your closest friend, the one you always share your work with, anybody else. You want to even beat him as well. Yeah. Irrespective of whatever you do, and that's yeah. something that you know you you pick up in that in kind of environment because yeah. Indian and so that's you, a Indian culture. Thing, positive, yeah. yeah. In Indian culture, the parents are always very strict on the kids. They want them to do well, get high grades, maybe have a better careers or career. So, you know, I think that kind of aspect is missing in Somali culture a little bit, you know, yeah. because the parents, if the Indian students and their parents are always on, on the kids, you know, always on top. And sometimes the pressure might be too much, you know, some yeah. students uh, crumble, you know, they, yeah. they, they get they start crying or the stress is too much. But it doesn't change the fact that the parents are always on their case. Yeah, you know, so parents they put high emphasis. Emphasis, and, yes. And like they value this, like so kids yeah, yeah. are encouraged. So that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. So did you do good then? Was you one of the best students there? <laughs> I want to say I was the best student, but I say I did. I did okay, pretty okay. You know, yeah. considering considering most of the time I was outside and playing football and stuff. Like yeah. What I achieved really at the end of when I left the school, you know, secondary school, what yeah. I achieved, I would say my grades were very good. Not, not yeah. Alhamdulillah. You know, and uh, yeah, it's a funny story because before then, before I went to secondary school, in the primary school, mm. there was a point where I think I was in year four, of, year four in this country, in England, it's like being in really, really primary school. Okay? Yeah. But there, it's, it's like, say you're year six or year seven. Okay? Yeah. So I failed in my maths exam and my mum was really, really upset with it, you know. Yeah. She was really, really upset. She never said anything. And then I swore, I said, I would never fail any other exam after that. So yeah. that was that was the end of it, really. Yeah. But you you can tell, you kind of humiliate yourself, you embarrass yourself. Because the first thing what happens is when you fail, everybody in the class knows, everybody in the school knows. You yeah. know? So on top of your parents feeling disappointed, you have the shame of like, you know, everyone looks at you and say, oh, you're a loser, okay? you're failing an exam, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing with the Indian culture, right? If you have this, uh, all these eyes on you, every, every time you do an exam or a test, You asked, "What did you get? What did you get? How much did?" You get? Yeah. And if you, even if you, if you try and lie, yeah. you can't because sooner or later someone's going to find out. Yeah. Or the teacher might spread out, or something will happen. So on top of the pressure from your parents, you have the pressure from your peers as well. Yeah. So. so how old were you there? You would have been in year six. I would be year six. Yeah, so you would be like about ten. Ten years. I would yeah, be ten years, ten old. years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How did you? Ha- because one of the questions I was going to ask you is how yes. do you handle? stress and failure so how did you handle that failure at a young age with your mom being disappointed yeah. and also the the culture and the environment 
was also like you said you fail it was good for me to fail if i was if i had a choice to want to fail i would have preferred to fail then you know not in secondary school <laughs> you know where i'm just leaving school locally yeah. and my grades go bad yeah. because and i feel at a young age that's when i realized hey i tasted disappointment i tasted humiliation because my peers were all like the difference between this country and that in abu dhabi mm. those schools was if you failed your exam at the end of year exam yeah. you can't go to the next class you stay in the same class Oh, Whereas here, yeah. it doesn't matter how bad you do, you will still keep going to year six, year seven, year eight, year nine. It almost exam doesn't have any materialness. Yeah. There you get stuck. So imagine that all my friends go to the higher next class. So I was in year four and ever older than year five, and then all the students from year three are in, in my class. So yeah. you can see the humiliation. Everyone's yeah. looking at me like, "What are you doing here?" You yeah. know. So I had I did a reset. Alhamdulillah, it was only one test. You yeah. know, so it was okay. I I got away with it yeah. in the sense that I did a re- reset and I passed yeah. and then I went back to year year five as as I said, yeah. but that that uh, it taught me like I realized the shame of being a failure and the yeah. shame of being uh, humiliated because all all my peers were all laughing at me you yeah. know like oh what's this guy, and that that taught me never ever never mess about with your studies yeah. never uh, whatever you do you can go out and play around but make sure you know what you're doing at the end of the day so I had I carried that obviously to my Mashallah, secondary yeah. school and all my year groups although I did have a problem when I came to this school uh, to yeah. this country when I did my A levels I did have an issue there as well uh, but that's a different story really yeah so, uh, <laughs> that will come to it yeah. yeah so I was gonna say which brings actually you might as well just mention that because I was mm. saying mm. when you moved there yeah so before you go there and to, I was gonna say you speak three languages yes. Somali Somali English and uh, Arabic, Arabic. So, so the question I was going to ask is, what language do you think in? <laughs> what language? When, think? When, when you're thinking, what language do you think in? Was to be Arabic because you grew up in Arabic? Or? No, no, no. Because Arabic was just the language I used to speak with everybody else. Really, it wasn't my predominantly primary language. Yeah, my primary was, language was Somali because yeah. I was speaking to all oh, yeah. my mom, everybody family. else, family yeah. in Somali. Then it was English because that's how I was my school and all other friends, close friends. Oh, okay, yeah. Then Arabic because the Arab Arab language is only like in a city or college. If I need to go somewhere or yeah. speak to somebody, so it, there was a hierarchy really. So, so Somali was first. Somali was first. Yeah. yeah. So you think in Somali now? So, I'm thinking so Somali did now. that help you t- in with your culture and de- learning more about your culture? Yes, yes. Kind of, it was really good because I ha- I went to Somalia in I think before I left the Abu Dhabi. I went to Somalia for that was like two, that. Yeah, yeah. two weeks. I went there so. Yeah. Kind of helped me because if I didn't know this language, I think what I think I that's when when I had a car crash. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I had a car crash. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I think I, because I speak the language, even yeah. though people used to call me Dakar Ennis yeah. all the time, and they were like, go, you know, you don't know your language, you go back yeah. to your culture and all that stuff. Yeah. I still had, could speak the language, the Somali language. So knowing the language has helped you a lot yes. in terms of yeah. learning. Okay, yeah. so when you moved to England, what was the challenge? You said that one of the first challenges oh, was the, the first levels. No, no, the, the first challenge was bigger than the A-levels. The first challenge I had was getting used to a new country, a new yeah. environment, a new culture. I mean, I grew up 18, all my life in Abu Dhabi, and then yeah. suddenly been thrown into a country like the UK, yeah. where everything is different. Like, literally, and it was just me and my mom, and I had to look after her, and I had to look after myself as well. Yeah. So the first year was very difficult, because I didn't have any, I, I couldn't, literally I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any cash coming in, because I couldn't work, I was too young then at yeah. that time, and I had all those red tape bureaucratic red tape in front of me and then what happened is I I almost wasted a whole year so the whole year I didn't do anything I was going from I was actually going from house to house really you know staying I got fed up of staying in the house that I was in I just tried to go and see my relatives my cousins people haven't you know people I know who are obviously related to me just to just to break the thing and it was very extremely hard because imagine a whole year of you doing nothing you can't study you can't work, you can't do anything, and you just stay there yeah, doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, and obviously you get all these thoughts in your head. And, yeah. you know, and you're thinking, why, why did I come here? What's the point? I had a really nice life there. But then 
that's the problem with thinking short term. You don't think nobody's thinking long term. Yeah. Mom was the one was thinking long term, thinking this yeah. is gonna pass. And Why did you move anyway? Because of we the moved because change, yeah, we moved because it was got to the point where it was a choice. If we didn't move at the time, mm. we would have been thrown back to Somalia, basically. Yeah. All right. So why well, why did that? I want to understand why do why would the Arabs do that? Why would the they Arabs? Do? Because the thing is, is at some when at some point during the Arabs, as as Sheikh Zayed, the the the, the, the former leader, mm. Allah Yerhamah Sheikh Zayed, Sultan Al Hayyan, he was there. You know, he was very good to people like the Arabs. You know, you know when I say Arabs, I'm talking the Arabs of the Sham, the Levant. You know, mm. the Palestinians, the the Syrians, the Egyptians, and all this, and the Somalis. And then we all had a really nice upgrade, up nice life, really. But eventually, what happened was, I don't know what happened, uh, but people who used to work, with, my mom used to work in the hospitals. You know, mm. a lot of people were let go. Nurse, you know, yeah, yeah, nurses yeah. were let go. They wanted cheap people on cheap contracts and. The writing was on the wall, so my mom said, "Look, we are, we have to move out of the country, out of this country. Otherwise, if we don't and we get fired, without that said, you get deported because there's no other way else for you to go, really." So my mom had to make a decision. She had to say, "Look, we have to move. We have to uh, think ahead, really." So, and then uh, obviously we had family living in this country, so yeah. we, we made a plan. It was a long-term plan of trying to get here, really. And How long uh, was he planning? My mom was planning for, I think, years and years, really, trying to, to think get... She to, knew, like, yeah, she knew. She knew. Uh, none of us knew. And then, ironically, after after a year of being in this country, a lot of my mom's friends in Abu Dhabi, they all got fired deported, from the jobs, yeah. everyone got deported, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, it was almost like she left at the perfect time, really. She yeah, knew. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So, yeah. And then so and then so then after you after that year what happened did you start was you able yeah to after work? then I went to college then the first time I went to college and obviously you can imagine the, sh- the culture shock because going to college for the first time in this country I, w- I came from a segregated culture where only boys were in boys school and girls were in girls school yeah. so now I'm surrounded by I have it's a mixed culture really you know I still got my Indian accent they're like this guy is black. Why has he got an Indian accent? What's going on here? You know, they were wondering, what, what, are you watching Indian movies or something? So yeah. it's, 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 it's really weird. You know? And obviously, I, I looked out of place because the clothes I was wearing, you might say it's, it's like freshy clothes, like clothes yeah. from, from an Arab country clothes, you know, yeah. where the jeans are too wide and too baggy and the yeah. shirts are too... You had the you know, fashion of Abu Dhabi. I had, I had fa- Abu Dhabi fashion, really. And I come to the UK, people are like, yeah. this guy is... This guy needs to go to a shop and find some better clothes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New clothing. New clothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then that's when I first started, obviously. And then when I did my, my, my... That was the first culture shock or culture change. I had proper culture change. Obviously, I had it before. The one year I wasn't doing nothing. But that's when... That's and then again... And so what happened with the A-levels? The A-levels... Funny enough, the first year I did my A-levels, I was doing all right. I was doing good. And then my second year, I got a bit disillusioned. You see, the funny thing was... Because I was in a, it was an environment where the, all my friends were there and there was no one pushing each other. See, the, in, the back, back, exactly, the competitive nature was gone. So, mm-hmm. whereas in Abu Dhabi, I had all the Indians pushing me around and we were all like, looking at each other and thinking, yeah. this guy can't beat me and I can't beat him, etc. There, the second year, I had really, literally, guys who didn't really care, really. So, I was <laughs> I was with them as well. So, <laughs> I just I just slowed down and I didn't do my wells. I I just scraped through. Luckily, I just scraped through. You know, I got a I got a I think yeah. I got a C in all my sciences. Yeah. You know, when I my AS the first year I was getting A's and B's and A's and B's and then I go with a C, which meant that I dropped really bad. I did one of my units. I did I got a D or something. Yeah. Really really bad. Funny enough, I didn't feel the same same issues as I was feeling before where I was oh I, I didn't do I didn't do very well and I didn't yeah this time I didn't feel, didn't time, I didn't feel, bad, I didn't feel any bad about it I was like I'm just happy to get it through really. so you stand because you stand do you think because you stand stand, 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 drops, yes. <laughs> stand and drop really really bad so yeah. I was it's like you're playing how world class 
you were with world class yeah. students and then when they took the stand yeah, like lower play, league like lower, lower league, league yeah. yeah playing the premiership and then suddenly you're back in the ch- you know <laughs> league one you know with other kids uh, with other players <laughs> drop the standards yeah. you know now you're not complaining no about it anymore yeah so <laughs> And then so that's, that's good in a way. That's why you know. That's why I say, look, you know, your your thinking, see, your thinking habits and your emotional habits mm. are triggered mm. by your by cued by your environment exactly. without you not even realize. So like now you see when you were playing in the world class Premiership standard yes. education with yeah. the Indians, like. yes, yeah, with the Indians, yes, they push you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, your your study levels go up to you know you have good study habits mm. and levels is different high, but mm. then. As soon as, as you come here, yeah, it's it, evidence, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I have yeah. to use this as a research case study. <laughs> I know, I know. It's 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 amazing. It 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 tells you like everything is shaped by your environment, really. You know, shaped, so, yeah. yeah. Most environment. at least ninety five. They always talk about the nurture and the the nurture and the nature yeah. debate. You know, are you the nurture is uh, when you surround what how does it affect your environment and the nature the 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 brain or the, how they think yeah, basically how creatures, uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know so IQ levels is IQ determined by your your what's your genes and how you're born etc or is it determined by who's surrounding you and you know, there's always a debate basically <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. but at the end of the day you are who you are but you're always going to be shaped by the environment that you're yeah. in you know that's what I'm saying like if see going back to that example if you, if you uh, if you don't have high intelligence yeah. but you ran say you go to in India or like you go to India yeah. and you stay in there for or even like you said the Hindi school yeah. and then you are around these people yes. they're going to raise your standard up, stand exactly. up. You're gonna, that's all you can play with yeah, you can't, because, you can't, because you can't, you can't change up. your brain you yeah. can't go to your cells and change your IQ or whatever yeah. you want you can't do that but that's the only thing you can play with is the, the, the environment, environment. Who you can play with the environment yeah. and who you take your information your experience yeah. and wisdom from and, and same it's like even you know like if it's like football yeah. if you're if you're an okay player yeah. and you start playing with players who are you know world class, world class yes suddenly your standards go up your standards will go shoot that's yeah. why you see a lot of players yeah. in the football mm. in the world or sport just let's sound football because I like football so you probably know yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. so yeah. It's, it's just chosen as a good example isn't it yeah. but I'm saying you see a lot of players if yeah. they start training yeah. with players who are world class mm-hmm. suddenly that player is it looks different because every week every day he's training with these people so exactly. really yeah I agree yeah, with you the happen. best example of that is Steve McQuarrieman you know the, the Liverpool player yeah. he, when he was in Liverpool he used to he was okay good player okay so he was a, he was alright yeah. when he went to Real Madrid he raised the level to another level you know yeah. surrounded by all these you know Ronaldo Ronaldo Raul all these really really good players so he raised his standards up really you know so It's so yeah, it's a 50-50 environment. Mm. Environment is powerful. Okay, how it shapes you in it. Yeah. So the other thing I was going to say was, and mm. um, in recent years you've had a change of heart when it comes to. So you know, before I go there, mm. what did you want it to become when you were a kid? When I when I had, obviously I wanted to be a pilot. Okay. That's what if I in another life I would have been a pilot. Yeah, an Air Force pilot. <laughs> is that think, when you were saying in, in yes in, in, in primary when I was primary and, and Abu Dhabi and you know I grew up I, all I always wanted to be was to be a pilot. Yeah. I didn't want to be like Why? a civilian because I like the. I like to fly. I used to watch flights. You know, we used to. You know, I used to love the planes and just flying. Yeah. The whole flying thing got into my head, and people used to say, "Well, you wanted to be a, uh, you wanted to be a civilian pilot." You know, the guy who work at airlines, carry passengers. I was like, "No, no, 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 no." I want actually a fighter jet. You know, the guys who are proper. Oh, so you wanted to go? Yeah. I want to go to the military. Yeah. You know, and enjoy the experience of flying. You know, at high G forces and yeah. all this. Enjoy, but then obviously, you know, I was. It's not as if I had the right nationality, and even. When I came to this country, you know, I had I had opportunity, obviously, you know, because mm-hmm. this country once you become a British citizen and you're at a certain age, you can still apply to the Royal Air Force. But, yeah. Hoya, my mom wouldn't even let me 
gonna go to an extra plane. She probably think I'm gonna start bombing other people and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But that was my ambition. But then when I came here, and then obviously as time went on, I thought I wanted to be, I wanted to have a safe job, and this is what I did my career first. Uh, my my first university, I worked in Harlem University, mm. and my career was in biomedical science. Yeah, so what I made want, you interested in that? Because I, I, I kind of like science. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I like science. Uh, what can I do? What can I fit in? So I didn't want to go to medicine because medicine was just too much for me, really. Mm. And, yeah. and I, even if I wanted to go to medicine, I didn't have the grades for it. So that yeah. was that was gone anyway. Yeah. But then I felt um, I wanted to do something safe, something where I get a nine-to-five job. I can go home and just do my thing, etc. Then the biomedical science. I knew somebody who lived in Abu Dhabi who did biomedical science yeah. and they were working in that hospitals. They advised me to do that. Then you can really get a good job. As soon as I graduated, I got a job right away. So within literally within four months, I, but the job was in, in a place called Wakefield, yeah. which is a city close to Leeds, West Yorkshire. And I used to go on a train every day. So I used to go there at one o'clock. Uh, in the afternoon, I used to come home at 10 o'clock and I used to be on a train. For the first job, it wasn't too bad. It was a professional kind of job, etc. Although the way I left wasn't professional. <laughs> That's another story. Yeah. yeah but it was, um, it was literally after a period of, I would say, from my first job till I would say eight, seven years later, I'm doing the same thing. I got yeah. a burnt out. Oh, so you did about seven years? Seven years. I was I worked in a lab lab for seven years. Yeah. So I worked in I worked in microbiology labs. I worked in hematology labs. Bi- microbiology is all diseases, so yeah. you check for diseases. And, yeah. You know, and hematology is to do with blood. That was yeah. in uh, university. Yeah. And then you got I got fed up. I got tired because I knew uh, it was not challenging me. It was that I was my my potential was stuck. You yeah. know, no matter what I tried, I, I couldn't I couldn't see any difference what I was doing. Yeah. I was sitting behind a computer. I was. Checking for samples, checking people are sick, and that's about it, really. Yeah. I was almost like if you're a doctor, you know you're making a difference. You're yeah. curing somebody. You're doing this, whereas in a in a lab, you were just behind a computer and a machine. Yeah. The machine doing a lot of the job for you, and you're doing some of the job, <laughs> yeah. and then you're giving results to people, telling them this is what they have, positive, negative, whatever it is. Yeah. But it wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't feeling anything really. It wasn't fulfilling. And I wasn't. I, I, challenge, like. It wasn't challenging, and I wasn't really good at it as well. I knew. I wasn't really your good at it. Your heart wasn't in it. My wasn't. If your heart wasn't in it, then you're not good at it, you know. Yeah, really. And I was, I was so, people would tell me, why are you too slow? You're this, you're rubbish. They would say I was rubbish. I was I was competent. I, you know, I but wasn't. you, like, compared to them, because they probably had the passion to exceed. Exactly. You, yeah, yeah. But you, but on that, the other hand, because your, your heart wasn't there. My heart wasn't there, yes. Come to work. Exactly. Just going through the day. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going through, running through the motions, basically. Yeah. Just knocking in, clocking in and clocking out. And yeah. that was it. I was like brain dead. You know, my yeah. brain was completely dead for nine hours every day. So. Yeah. Uh, and then that's when I decided to change my uh, I had a decided to change you know what let me try something different and uh, a friend of mine went into teaching we used to work together in Rotherham and he yeah. went to teaching and I said you know what I might I might actually consider that which is really scary because I hated the one time in my life where I was presenting in front of people and yeah. that was in university yeah after university sorry they, I had a year where I was working in Shah Hospital for yeah. a year as experience yeah and then I was supposed to go back to university and do a talk about what I have learned yeah and it was so awful even now after how many years yeah. I still cringe about it it's <laughs> ridiculous because apparently nobody wanted to go to any other talk they all wanted to come to my talk because everyone was interested in what I had to say about this because there's a lot of students mm. in the second year and first year who wanted to who were thinking of going to the hospitals and they, exactly so when they saw Yusuf Ibrahim did a experience one year in Hallamshire Hospital he's going to present this talk you know, on the boards everyone wants to come to that because they want all wanted to do that yeah. and unfortunately there was the worst talk <laughs> they were expecting yeah. to be good but they wanted the worst talk so yeah. I thought hold on a minute can I actually be a teacher and do this and stand in front of you know people 
you know, 20, 30 people yeah. every single day. I couldn't do it in front of 10 people. Imagine, I I, yeah. I, I really went badly in 10 people. And now I'm being asked to do a job where I'm presenting for five hours every day. Yeah. Could I do it? That self-doubt was there. I thought, you know what? Yeah. What, what, what do oh, I got okay, to lose? So just to go back. So that ex- negative experience of yeah. and of standing in front of that and the students and sharing them with your experience. Yes. It kind of like creates itself that. Yes. Of, to see whether you can actually do this job standing yes. in front of that. Yeah. Yes. So what convinced you then um, that you can... Yeah, but what convinced me was... Well, you think was, it was, was time. Was, in, in thinking and self-talk. So how did you manage to... It um, was just a matter of It was just a matter of time. Yourself, you know, it was just... Yeah. A, because the experience, the bad experience I had was in 2008. Yeah. And I had a career change in 2017. Mm. So literally, it was nine years, it was nine years before I changed the career. So, so it was just a time really. Because the first four years of my life, I was doing the same thing, working in the lab, I yeah. was rubbish at it. But I still had the fear of what well, well, went wrong. negative experience. experience. That was holding me back, you know. But it's, then as time went by and time went by, when I saw I'm not going anywhere in my life. I'm mm. literally just stuck in doing this. I went to the point where I left my career in... In a laboratory, started working shift for city council. You know, working with as administrative roles, working with customer services. So it's a completely different thing. Because yeah. I got so fed up with working in the lab, yeah. I got burnt out by it. Yeah. And still, I wouldn't consider teaching. I was like, you know, it's too dangerous. I was rubbish then. I was in there. But then over time, yeah. you, what happens is you realize one outweighs the other. Yeah, that, so that, that, that's more... the, the costing in life and having a rubbish career and I got nothing to show for yourself and you know leaving one job tomorrow and then going to another job tomorrow outweighed my fear because that fear so, eventually yeah. dissipated. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so that kind of convinced you, convinced to me. Then, so what are you gonna lose? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you're gonna do worse now than compared to earlier. So yeah, so you went for so that kind of encouraged you encouraged yourself by reminding that yeah. well you basically outweighed it. Exactly. The pro and yeah, the cons, yeah. and you realize you you gotta go for it. Yeah, yeah. So, what are the good and bad aspects of being a teacher? Then, <sighs> well, it's really, the, I'll start with the with uh, with the bad aspects first, because yeah. that, and that's that's the first thing you realize when you go into teaching for the first time ever. You immediately see the bad aspects. You see, you see kids not willing to learn. So that's number one. How do you convince a boy that has got no interest in what you're learning? How do you convince him to be quiet? And focus on your teaching. It's impossible. Yeah. Because no matter what you do, it doesn't matter if you get a, a circus, a clown in the class yeah. to do juggling stuff, right? They still wouldn't be interested. They want to do their own thing. So number one was the behavior issue. Yeah. Number two was the workload. The amount of workload. I mean, there's a, there's a survey. They said the, the, th- the second most stressful job in this country, in the UK, is teacher. Yeah. Number one being air traffic controllers, you know, the people who control... Uh, they have to pay attention, yeah. Because I got, a, I got a attention, all these airmen are flying in and flying Pressure. out. One Pressure. mistake and people would die, really. They said that, obviously, teachers are stressful, and it's because of the workload. Every time you do, you think you're doing a job, no, teachers, being a teacher in this country is more than a teacher. You have to be an administrator, you got to be a receptionist sometimes, <laughs> you've got to be a counsellor, a psychologist, whatever. You've got to do a billion, yeah. a, a mentor... A billion different roles into one, and that will eventually chip, take a chip of your soul a little bit, you know. Yeah. And every single day, and you get, you get run down by it, obviously. And you were so bad, at, you know. For me, I think the first year I had when I went to university to be a teacher, yeah. I nearly quit after four months because I used to teach in a place called Gloucester, yeah. and Gloucester was fifty miles away from Newport, where I live yeah. in Wales. So imagine you go so fifty miles. Every I was driving. I wake up every morning at five o'clock, get in the car by six o'clock, and reach the school by seven. So I was traveling an hour, an hour, 10 minutes each way. Yeah. Okay. And that was in the middle of winter. So it was dark and rainy. So I leave the house, dark, come home, it's dark, come home at six o'clock, 
and I was I got recently married as well, you know. So at that time, I recently got married. So it was supposed to be an exciting time for myself, you know. Yeah. But it was really so bad because of the journey and the journey, and you know, sometimes you think you don't know what you're doing, and you know, the head of department, the person who was my boss at the time, didn't like me that much. She didn't think I was capable of. So you get that self doubt. People think you think to yourself you're rubbish, really. Yeah. And then. At one point, I was I had a resignation email. This is at four o'clock. Yeah. Four o'clock in the morning. In the morning yeah. And I had a observation the same day. So people, somebody from the university, you know, my tutor from university was coming to observe me to see how I was teaching. Yeah. You know whether I was good enough to teach or rubbish. I got you know basically or go away basically. Yeah. And this is at four o'clock in the morning, and I'm writing a resignation letter. I'm thinking, I'm going to quit. I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. This is impossible. I'm just going to go back to being the old use of just coasting through life again. I'd rather do that mm-hmm. than this person. And then it was my wife who told me. My wife tried to convince me. Told me just, just keep, keep going, keep going. But I was my mind was always set. Yeah. And in the end, she just told me, "Listen, do what you like." Almost like man up. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, you know what? Give it a shot. Do the observation. If it goes well, alhamdulillah. Mm. If it doesn't go well, That's then at least you give it, gave it a shot. So I, I put the, the the resignation letter to one way. I practiced my lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then I went to the to the class. And Alhamdulillah, really, thankfully, the lesson went all right. And yeah. the tutor liked it. And my mentor also liked it. I said, yeah, that was a really good lesson. That's the first time I got a bit of confidence. I thought, yeah. you know what, maybe I can do this sort of thing, yeah. you know. Then it didn't matter what the my head of my, my head of department thought about me. It didn't matter who said bad about me. Mm. It didn't matter who said, you're rubbish at this. I had a, that, that little self-belief. I mm. hold on to it. Yeah, and that kept me yeah. going for, for another two months. I stayed in that place. Then I left. Yeah. Once I left that place, I went to a new school. Which was only two miles away. Marshall, yeah. Two miles away. And people say the time it took me to go all that first of all my, my life went easier. Mm. And Alhamdulillah, I think I was lucky enough that I had uh, this is a person, the head of the department at the time, she was a Scottish lady. I remember her name until that Rosemary. She was working for I don't know, thirty years and and she told me, Don't worry, I'm gonna look after you and she looked after me mm. and that's when I, I became more instead of being just survival mode yeah. it became more of okay let's start to enjoy this I yeah. still had all the rubbish I had yeah. you know the, the so whole work to grow in confidence in your yes. ability because you was also gaining that experience exactly yeah I had the experience you need somebody to help you to guide the way really yeah. you know, so matter. that teacher was a good that, that, teacher. That, that teacher was a really good teacher she was the head of department and she was really good experience as well mm. and she knew what I was going through yeah. you know whereas the other teacher who, who looked like she was very she in her 20s not that experienced you know and she all she wanted to make my life was misery mm. this one wants to make my life much more easier yeah. so that's where I got the confidence so, like, so that also goes to show that positive relationships as well even if you look mashallah rahma yeah that's a good as well encouragement encouragement it? yes yes yeah, it's like easy yeah. for her to say oh yeah if you're not you know because yeah, that's the standard good thinking these days yeah. oh you're not feeling well or your mental health is getting bad or you know what just stop and just yeah, relax but you need you yeah. need encouragement you yeah need. true and also there's other teachers where like you said you see the difference between the two teachers yeah, yeah. your environment the people around you yeah, around you yes you know what I mean like this other teacher mm. she probably like you say she was young herself yeah she probably hasn't got experience of leadership and leadership management. and how to manage people and how yeah. to get the best out of or people or how to notice the situation yes you have yeah. to read we were saying earlier you have to read the subtle situations yeah, yeah. Yeah, people yeah. if the person is no experience stuff. Yeah. so this teacher was good the teacher was good she was really really good and that's when I started picking up good habits and you know learning mm. how to do and that's when you realize what what's a good teacher all about you know mm. because the best thing you can say about being a teacher mm. is you can change someone's life you know yeah. they will, so it's just a good aspect good aspect yes. yeah, yeah you can change someone's life I mean you can literally 
it's people can tell you you're a good teacher by observing you and say, oh, I like this teacher. But the, the crux of the matter is, is the students, they finish the exam and then they'll say to you, and then they get the results and they come to you. And this was when I, when I went to London. Yeah. I think I was in London and I got my first professional job as a teacher in London. How long were you working in London for? I was working for a, uh, nearly two years. Yeah. Nearly two years. I in a London in a, school. In a, in a London school. Yeah. All, it's an all-boys school. And all full of, you know, it was a completely mixed school. Ethnics. You know? Ethnics. It was an ethnically diverse school. And at the end of a GCSE exam, this was the last exam before COVID happened, yeah. you know, when... When schools were told, you know, you could do your own exams, you know, there was no GCSE exams, it was all teacher assessment. Yeah. Um, and so this was the last exam and I only was in that school for, since January, I missed the first part of the school. So I was from January till, till August. So they had exam in somewhere in May and June. Yeah. And the student came up to me and we got his results to me, sir, this is because of you and I'm happy. And so that's when you get the pride. In six months. In six months. months. Yeah. You yeah. make a difference in someone's life for six months. Yeah. That's where you get the sweetness up, you know. Yeah. Obviously, some people think being teacher as well is more about other people go to teachers because they want to feel important, feel respected. Yeah. You know? like respected not, yeah, yeah respected. Like... You know, there's nothing like ordering people. You know, people like to have the power of ordering people, you know. Yeah. But for me, it's more about that. It's changing someone's life. That's what, that's what it motivates you. Motivates like, you, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not the money. The money, if it was about the money, people would get a better paid job, less hassle and get paid more. Really. Yeah. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Guys, that's it for today's episode. Inshallah, we'll continue with our conversation with our dear brother Yusuf Ibrahim in next week's episode. Until then, take care. And please do remember that the habits of the heart, habits of the mind, habits of the soul and the habits of the body do matter. They shape our existing and our future in this life and the year after. And you don't decide your future, you decide your habits and your habits will decide your future. Please always keep that in mind. And please, if you found this beneficial, do me a favor and share it with family and friends. And until the next episode, inshallah, take care. And I wish you success in this life and the hereafter. And I ask Allah to give us all. Rabbina atina fi dunya hasanatan wa fil akhirat hasanatan wa qina adab al-nar. Oh Allah, give us good in this life and the hereafter. And safeguard us from the punishment of the hellfire. Ameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.